Brian just asked me to read this scripture, and <laughs> so I'm looking over what it was. And for some reason, I, it's about Nicodemus and him encountering Jesus. And how many have seen The Fiddler on the Roof, the movie version? <laughs> I, I just watched it for the first time all the way through this past year. For some reason, I'm reading this, and I can't get, I don't know, forget his name, but the, the main guy that sits there and talks to God. What's his name? Tavia. Tavia? Yeah, anyway, I'm not going to do it. I'll butcher it, but I, I'm, I'm hearing Tavia here talking to Jesus. But <clears throat> Okay, John 3, 1 through 7. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, <laughs> that's all I'm going to do. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless... God be with him. And Jesus answered him and said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. I'll get it. <laughs> Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. John 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. <clears throat> I was asked to pray too, so um, I wonder, as I was sitting there pondering the scripture, I, I thought of something to pray. There's a proverb. Proverbs twenty twelve. it says that the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. And Jesus was fond of saying to people as he walked around, he'd say something that really puzzled everybody. And then he'd say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And it's a gift of God seen, according to Proverbs. God has made seeing eyes and hearing ears. And so we can pray and ask him for that that we would have ears to hear. So let's pray. Father, that is our prayer. Lord, it is a gift to have seen eyes and hearing ears. So we simply ask, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear what Jesus says to each one of us. Amen.
Over the years, um, occasionally I've had people ask me if they can come up here and read the scripture with a dramatic voice and a dram dramatic reading, and I've always said, uh, thanks, but no thanks. But <laughs> Scott is the only one that gets the hall pass on the dr dramatic reading, so did a good job. Thank you, Scott. This, yeah. Um, this morning, I, I thought we would take um, some time and, and talk about um, the DNA of our church and and um, the, the values and the vision of, of what we would hold on to. And uh, one part of that that I want to talk about this morning is that um, the gospel changes every part of your life, starting right now and into the future. That the gospel is not just good news about something that you receive uh, in the past, and it's something you, you put away in your back pocket and, and go on living we would say, no, that the gospel is something that changes your life now and continues to change your life daily. And so that is the work, that is the responsibility of our church to teach how does the gospel change every area of our life? How does Jesus impact how we live? And that's a huge responsibility and a huge topic. When I mention the word gospel, I mean that that is good news. It's a very common Greek word, and it's a word that describes an announcement. It's not a word that describes something you must do. It's purely an announcement. And we would say, and there are many different ways to explain the gospel, but one way that we've talked about over the years is the idea that the gospel shows us all that we are all flawed and broken more than we know. But we are also more loved and accepted than we could know or ever hoped. And that begins to get at the gospel, knowing that all of us here have parts of our lives that are flawed and broken. And by that, I mean that we all have areas of our lives in which we want to live in rebellion against God, that we want to function as the God of our lives. And that's true within all of us. But the other part of the gospel, which is good news, is that God loves us so much, more than we can know, that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to heal the brokenness that rebellion creates. And when we're honest with ourselves, we all can admit that rebellion always leads to brokenness, that living life on our own terms eventually leads to brokenness. And so what I would what I thought we would do this morning is we'd spend some time looking at two people. Um, one is Nicodemus and one is a Samaritan woman and find similarities uh, in this story that teach us about the gospel. Now, there are many differences in this story that are, are meaningful and, and interesting to talk about, but this morning we're going to spend most of our time talking about the similarities and what does it teach us about the gospel? So there are four things that I want to share with you this morning, and we'll spend a few minutes on each one about what do these two interactions teach us about the gospel. So here they are. I'll give them to you quickly. Number one is that the gospel is a gift for everyone. Number two, the gospel is a necessity. Number three, the gospel is gradual. And number four, the gospel totally transforms our lives. Okay, so number one is this, that the gospel is a gift for everyone. 
the story begins in John chapter 3 with a man named Nicodemus, who is what we would call a, an insider. He is a moral man. He is a religious man. He is an educated man. He is a successful man. He is the equivalent of a PhD in Hebrew or Aramaic. He is a social elite. He is an insider. The woman, the Samaritan woman, is an outsider. The, the passage says that she comes to do her water gathering at noon in the heat of the day by herself. One of the things that I, um, I regularly experienced when I lived in Indonesia many years ago was that the, the women would regularly and almost always go and do their laundry together. Early in the morning, I would see women uh, along the riverbanks doing laundry together. And never once did I see a person, a woman, doing laundry by herself. And when you read commentaries about this passage, one of the indicators that this woman is a social outcast is that she is gathering water by herself in the heat of the day. And so we need to think about this for a moment and just ponder this idea that the gospel is a gift for everyone. Insiders, outsiders, people who we think don't need the gospel, need the gospel, and people that are on the fringe, people that are broken, people that are hurting, need the gospel. I don't know where you are this morning on the morality scale. You might be here this morning and be equivalent to a Nicodemus, where you are successful, you have achieved things, life is going well, or you might be closer to the Samaritan woman who has very few friends, who has had a history of broken relationships, who is isolated and alone. But we do know from this story, when we look at the words of Jesus and the life of Jesus, is that the gospel is a gift for everyone, regardless of who you are. If you are a corrupt political leader, if you are sexually promiscuous, if you are highly successful, the gospel is for everyone. We learn here that Jesus is the person who breaks down barriers to reach out to people. We see this specifically in the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. If you look in your Bible or the passage, we see some highlights that tell us that Jesus breaks barriers. There is a gender barrier, barrier that Jesus breaks. Jewish men during this time in this culture would not talk to uh, a woman. In fact, we notice this just this year in January when we went to Jerusalem and my family and I and, and Karen and the boys began to walk down towards the Western Wall and somebody came, I think, and kind of tapped Karen on the shoulder and said, um, you can't go down there where, with the men. There's a special spot for the women. So this culture, even in ancient times, men would not talk to a woman. So Jesus breaks a gender barrier by talking to her. Jesus breaks a racial barrier. Samaritans and Jewish people did not get along. They did not like each other. Jesus breaks the respect barrier. He associates with a woman 
with whom other women would not associate. And Jesus is going to break a religious barrier and a moral barrier with Nicodemus. And I think it's worth it for us to think about for a moment about the barriers that we put up in life to not deal with the core issues of our life. Jesus is going to touch Nicodemus's heart. He's going to touch the Samaritan's woman's heart by dealing with the core issue, by breaking down barriers. And we have to think about for a moment, what are the barriers that we put up? And sometimes we put up barriers as an excuse to not deal with the issues of life. Whether it's a barrier of organized religion that keeps you away from Jesus, uh, the barrier of a, of a past experience that keeps you away from Jesus. And what we would say and believe is that the gospel is a gift for everyone, regardless of who you are. And one of the things that's most interesting about this, that Jesus says to Nicodemus, is that he is the person who is least likely to need a gospel transformation. Jesus is speaking to a man, again, who has everything together, who is the picture-perfect image of a good moral person who does not need the gospel. And so we need to be very careful about creating labels and putting things on people, about who needs the gospel, who needs Jesus more. The gospel is for everyone it's a paradigm shift. So that's number one. The gospel is a gift for everyone. Number two, gospel change is a necessity. Gospel change is a necessity. Look what Jesus says to Nicodemus. He says it three times. Beginning in verse 7, <clears throat> he says, you must be born again. Verse 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. I read a poll this week. It's interesting. It said this, about 75% of people said no to, if they had the option of having a born-again Christian as their neighbor, 75% of people would not want a born-again Christian as a neighbor. In fact, that word or those words often have a negative connotation. He's a born-again Christian. It's not quite as appealing as when Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman when he says, I'm offering you living water. It's a little bit more appealing. The church of the living water is a little bit more inviting than the church of those born-again Christians. <laughs> Everyone's welcome. Come to the born-again place. But here's what's important. Nicodemus contradicts the understanding of who needs a grace reformation in their life, a grace transformation. I'll say that one more time. Nicodemus contradicts the whole picture, the whole image, the whole understanding of who needs the gospel of grace. He is a Bible scholar, the most educated uh, person, he's a Pharisee, he's a religious leader, and he needs the grace of the gospel. He's an older gentleman, he's highly educated, he's a cultural elite, as I said, he's wealthy. 
if there is ever a message against religious morality, this is it. So if you think that being a Christian means you are to be a moral good person, Jesus is shattering this image because Nicodemus is the perfect example of what it means to be a good moral person. So Jesus is just changing everything here. The message against religious morality. So gospel change is a necessity for everyone. Who is more open to it? And here's what's interesting. There's so many interesting things about this. When Jesus talks to Nicodemus, Nicodemus says very few words. In fact, if you count them up, there's like 15, 20 words, 15, 20 words, and then Jesus just talks. When he speaks to the Samaritan woman, there's a conversation back and forth. Who talks the most about certain things? Experts on their field. Who does Jesus basically say, hey, stop talking and listen to the expert, the religious expert? And so we can think often that we have very strong opinions about what it means to be a Christian or religiosity or moralism. And here's what Jesus says. And this is maybe this is the word to uh, people who have been around Christianity a long time. You've been around churches a long time. The emphasis here, this is Nicodemus, the emphasis here is on listening, just as Scott mentioned and asked for prayer. The person who has very little Christian background, the Samaritan woman, it's a dialogue. It's back and forth, back and forth. And so the question is this, how are you at listening to the words of Jesus? And the more you've been around church, the more you've been around Christianity, the harder it is to listen. And so gospel change is a necessity. Number three, gospel change is gradual. What is the process for gospel change? And this is maybe one of the hardest things. We all want rapid change. We all want quick things to happen. We all want um, our spouses. We would love this probably um, if, our, if we could just do some quick fixes with our spouses. If my husband would just grow in this one area, like you, you think, I'm going to die before my husband even like learns this basic thing that would make our lives a lot better. Gospel change is gradual. Jesus talks about this or shows this to us in, um, in the story of the woman and, and the Samaritan woman. Chapter 4, verse 15 um, says this. The woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And this is interesting. Jesus says to her, go and call your husband to come here. Is there any connection? Sometimes we just read the Bible and we just read it quickly. We don't think about it. But she asked for water and he talks about her husband. The woman answered him, I have no husband. This is like going to the dentist now, where the, the dentist is touching all of your good teeth and there's no pain, and when you get close to that sore one, you pull back, you deflect. 
And here's what's going to happen. The woman is going to try to deflect because Jesus is getting to the core issue of her life. The woman said to him, uh, I have no husband. For, excuse me, Jesus says to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So we know that there is some relationship dynamics in this woman's life where she has had broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship. And one of the things that's interesting about this passage is that Jesus does not condemn, condemn her for this. And we learn that Jesus is patient with people, that gospel change is gradual because Jesus is a patient Lord and Savior. We like mechanical change. We like quick change. We like things to happen efficiently and effectively. The problem is life doesn't happen like that. I was thinking about it this week, um, just how, how change happens. And, and quick change, mechanical change versus natural, organic change that happens over time. Up towards the front of the, the property, there's a pallet of bricks and if I were to say to us, hey, we need to move those bricks, probably one or two of you would say, hey, there's this guy that we know, and he has a piece of equipment with a backhoe, and we could just move it up the hill, and it would take about 10 minutes. That's called mechanical change, and the job is done quickly and efficiently. But think about the difference between that and trying to grow a tree. How do trees grow? Slowly over time. One of the things that I've enjoyed uh, observing since the fire is just all the different types of plants that have, have um, begun growing. And I've been particularly excited about a sycamore tree that has started in our front yard. And we actually had two. And um, when the first one started, there were five leaves on it. And I would go out every morning and, uh, and stare at it and just hope for more leaves. And a friend of mine would always, for some reason, my friend would always observe when I'm out there standing in front of the tree like twice a day. And he's like, has it, cha has it changed from six hours ago? Hasn't changed too much in six hours. And unfortunately, the gopher got the small baby one. So I was sad for a little bit. But the big one is still there and strong. And it's gone from five leaves to I think 15. I can't even count anymore. Still going strong. But here's my point. It's just slow. And we have to, like, we have to trans transfer the way Jesus lives, the way Jesus embodies the gospel with how we live our lives. And know this is how growth happens in your life. It's slow. And it's often not as quick as we want, but it's filled with grace. It's not filled with condemnation. Jesus is very gracious and kind with this woman, but gets to the core issue of her life. Here's one example that might be helpful. Psalm 73, this is written by Asaph, who is what we would consider a believer, a follower of God. And here's what he writes. I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. That's him writing to God. Foolish, ignorant towards God. And then here's what he goes on to say. Still... I belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. 
Whom, am I, whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. He's saying this, that I was bitter and angry on the inside, but all along the way, I realized that God was with me. I think it's, it's foundational for us to understand that gospel change, gospel growth is slow and to be aware of that in your own life. It does happen. The sycamore tree in my yard is still growing. It's alive. It is changing, but it is slow. Think about how that applies to our relationships today, how you treat people, and how this is the antithesis of how we want to even raise our children. As parents, I was thinking about we want our children to grow quickly and mature quickly and, and to um, have things happen soon. Gospel growth happens slowly, and sometimes we fall backwards. Last week, I think it was last week, week and a half ago, we were up in Mammoth, and we were fishing, and uh, we went to this one spot and um, began tying lines and things, and, and I quickly realized that, we all quickly realized that mosquitoes were everywhere, and it just, it was like, you know, if you've had mosquitoes, it's just one of those things where you're like, okay, this, at first it's like a little bit, and you're doing this. And then I looked on uh, Cade's back, and there were about 20 mosquitoes on his back. And then I'm like, okay, they must be on my back. And so we're like, truck, get back in the truck. And then uh, we, we, had, I, we had the big truck, and it's this little narrow road, and I can't make the turn. And there's mosquitoes in the truck now a little bit. And so I go forward, I hit, the, hit a log, go backwards, hit another log. We're all flipping out because the mosquitoes are everywhere, right? And then, so who do, who do I blame for all this? Not the driver, not myself. It's, the, <laughs> it's my boy's fault for, I don't know why, why it's their fault, but I had to blame somebody because mosquitoes were everywhere and just, I was freaking out. <laughs> Gospel change is gradual, Gospel change comes from a Savior who is patient with us. Be patient with one another. Next, gospel change is transformative by touching the deepest part of your life. And that's what Jesus is able to do in this story. We can think about this for a moment. How do people change? Willpower, saying, suck it up, discipline, have more willpower. Some people think we can change by just following the desires of our emotions, following our, our desires of our heart, and let your true self come out. But the problem with that is that it doesn't change our desires. And Jesus is going to change the desires of this woman's life. The transformation that Jesus offers is radical. The transformation that Jesus offers this woman is referred to as living water. And one way to think about this is that this woman was digging wells to find satisfaction in her life, to find meaning in her life. Nicodemus had dug the wells of success, of education, of prosperity, of knowledge. This woman was digging wells trying to satisfy her soul in relationships. We don't know, and you read commentaries on this, we don't know exactly 
how a woman would go through five husbands. Most likely, commentators say it was um, through death and or men who had divorced her. Very difficult for a woman to divorce a man in this time. So there is a pattern in her life of broken relationships. And Jesus is going to offer, offer her living water that will change her life from the inside out. And she begins to realize this and begins to understand this. Verse 19, the woman says to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, that there's something going on. Jesus then skipped down and says this, that there's a time that's coming <clears throat> when this debate between where do we worship in Jerusalem or in this mountain in Samaria, Jesus is going to make that obsolete. That true worship will happen in spirit and truth. And Jesus says that he's seeking such people to worship him. And so Jesus touches the most deep and living part of her life to offer transformation, to offer soul restoration for this woman. The gospel goes to the deepest part of your life. And Jesus is able to break down the barriers that had happened. Well, how does this happen? How does this gospel transformation happen at the deepest parts of our life? Well, we just make a couple of observations that we learned from this. One is this, is that Nicodemus took time to think about the conversation. He took time to consider what Jesus had said about the need to be born again. The dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus is very limited, but we get a clue that gospel transformation happened with Nicodemus in the end of the, the Gospel of John, John chapter 19, verse 28, he's mentioned again, just this obscure little thing, and it says this, that Nicodemus helps Joseph of Amarathea um, to help prepare the body for burial. After Jesus dies, Nicodemus does something that no educated Jewish man would ever do, and that is to touch a dead body. It's interesting. There was a gospel transformation that happens in his life when he thinks carefully about the gospel and what changed. There was an internal transformation that happened in his life. And what is that? That there was a softening of his heart. That he became a servant. That he began to love Christ with all of his heart. There was also an internal transformation of the woman that the deepest longing of her soul, this living water, was finally satisfied. I read an example of it this week. I'm just going to share one part of it that, that, I th that to me um, is relevant to gospel change. And it's, um, it's from a book written by Eric Metaxas, Seven Men. And it, um, probably my favorite chapter is about... Um, Eric Liddell, who was a um, track Olympian uh, in the 1920s, and he went to China as a missionary before um, World War II, and where he was living in China was eventually captured by the Japanese, and they were put into, into a camp. And what's interesting about his story is that there were many people put into the camp, many other pastors, many other religious people, but there was something different about Eric. 
and let me just read a short little spot for you about this. It says this. The harsh year had worn down most of the internees who grew weary of the endless standing in line for everything from the morning roll call to latrine and shower visits. As the long months wore on, camp residents became less and less concerned about the good of the entire community. Instead, selfishness began to manifest itself. Many began stealing food and other necessities. You know who was a part of this group that was doing these things? Pastors, missionaries, religious folk. And Eric talks about how they were no different than anyone else. And that's how you can tell there's an indicator if the gospel of grace has changed your life, that it's an internal change. It's not an outward change because as soon as the mosquitoes of life come and you just get irritated and agitated, think about this. If that was the only bathroom we had here, we all had to wait in line for that, how long would it take for community to break down until we start barking at each other and yelling at each other and fighting and stealing food. Here's what he says. This is what <clears throat> Eric Metaxa says about Eric Liddell. Although he deeply missed his family, Eric stayed cheerful for the sake of others. In a Bible study class, he taught others to love their enemies, including the Japanese guards at their camp. And he exhorted his fellow Christians to pray for them as the Bible instructed this is one lesson that made an extraordinary impact on Joe Cotterell, that he promised God that if he survived the war, he would become a missionary to Japan. Eric's sincere Christ Christian faith was ever on display. In fact, one time he gave up his track shoes that he ran in the Olympics to somebody who his, had, his shoes had worn out. We have to be clear that there is a difference between religious morality of just being a good person and understanding the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace will change your heart from the inside out. Religious moralism means you're a rule follower. It means that you criticize people, that you think about yourself first. And I would say this, that the DNA of our church the vision of our church, how we function, why we exist, is to share the grace of the gospel, the good news that you're more loved and accepted than you know, that the words of Jesus go to the core issues of life to bring healing to your life, to bring restoration, to give you living water so that your soul would be satisfied. May we always be on guard against religious moralism, May we always be on guard looking for other things like the woman was to satisfy the deepest desires of our life. Living water is good. One of the, one of the many adventures we did as a family when the boys were little, we, there's a place up in uh, Los Padres National Forest where there's just really cool waterfalls and, and amazing fun things. And someday I'll show you this picture, but it's a great picture. One of the boys, I don't know how old they were, but nine or ten, it's a big cliff kind of thing, and I just grab his hand, and we jump off and hits the water, and then he, like, he splits his lip, and he's like, oh, that was kind of a long jump, Dad, but it kind of made my boys do fun things. But <laughs> one of the things, I'll never forget, I can't remember, maybe the molders were there too, but one of the times we didn't bring enough water, and 
the mountains in Los Padres can get very, very hot. And I can, it's one of the distinct times in my life when water was the most satisfying and just the best thing. It was soul satisfying. Clean, living water. Think about this for one second. If you're, just re- if you're super thirsty and somebody offers you like a half a teaspoon of water, are we satisfied? Not at all. And that's what life is like when you try to find satisfaction or meaning in anything other than Jesus. Jesus is the soul-satisfying water, the one that's good, that changes your desires. My prayer, my hope for us is that we would forever hold on to the gospel of grace. Grace brings freedom, grace brings love, and grace brings transformation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts to John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 as a way to remember that your son Jesus heals our lives and changes our lives and keeps us growing. Pray that you would do a work in our lives that is the result of your love for us and a healing power. You're so good to us. Keep grace close to our hearts. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.